coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter. You can't talk about Israel these days without talking about Iran. Iran is the number one most serious threat to Israel. It's the number one enemy of Israel. Iran's leadership is consistently, over years, threatening not just to attack Israel, but to annihilate the state of Israel. That's the word that the leadership there uses, to annihilate this country of Israel and the Jewish people that live here. They would also be annihilating all the Muslims that live here too. So it's an insane ideology. It's not held by most Iranians. It is a perspective, a religious calling of the Iranian leadership, of the regime. Hello and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a show about the Middle East and how it affects us as Christians. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. Joel, Iran, it's always in the news, and it's always a center point of people's understanding of what's happening in the Middle East. Talk a little bit about the country of Iran and Israel. Happy to, Carl, and great to be with you from Jerusalem and enjoying uh, how we're getting started with these podcasts. Listen, you can't talk about Israel these days without talking about Iran. Iran is the number one most serious threat to Israel. It's the number one enemy of Israel. Iran's leadership is consistently, over years, threatening not just to attack Israel, but to annihilate the state of Israel. That's the word that the leadership there uses, to annihilate this country of Israel and the Jewish people that live here. They would also be annihilating all the Muslims that live here too. So it's an insane ideology. It's not held by most Iranians. It is a perspective, a religious calling of the Iranian leadership, of the regime. And it's, they hold what I call apocalyptic eschatology, meaning they, they believe that at the, at the Iranian leadership level, and I've studied it, I've, stu- I've read their speeches, I've, I've written about this, talked to experts, the Iranian leadership believes that the way to hasten the end of days, the coming of the one they believe is the savior and the ruler of the world, a global kingdom, Islamic kingdom, or caliphate in their terms, the way to hasten it, to get it to come faster, is to destroy what they call the little Satan, that's the state of Israel in their view, and to destroy the great Satan, or at least neutralize the great Satan, which in their view is the United States. Israel because it's the epicenter of Judaism, and uh, the United States because they see it as the epicenter of Christianity. So this is a huge threat. And you're right, almost every time we hear about Iran in the news, it's described as, as an enemy, and uh, it bedevils Washington how to handle it, and the Europeans, and the Middle East, and so it's a big, big problem. It is a big, big problem, but we, we see some amazing things happening in Iran right now, and you've recently had a conversation about what, what God is at work doing in Iran, haven't you? Yeah, I have, because I keep getting asked by people, Joel, is it really true Is it really true that there's a spiritual revolution going on inside Iran? 
And the answer is, it is absolutely true. I've not only had the opportunity to lead Iranian Shia Muslims to faith in Jesus Christ, to disciple Iranian believers. My wife has done the same, and there's something extraordinary, dramatic going on inside Iran. Now, Muslims coming to faith in Jesus Christ is a very sensitive topic in this part of the world, but it's a story that is important to understand because it tells a lot about the dynamic of what's happening in the number one enemy of Israel and the United States. And by the way, I can tell you from firsthand experience of talking to the all the key Arab leaders in the Middle East, they see Iran as their number one threat. They don't see Israel as their enemy anymore. They used to, but they don't anymore. They see Iran's regime as a threat. Iran is building nuclear capacity and threatening to build nuclear weapons. Iran is sending terrorists all over the world to rob, kill, and destroy. Iran is sending insurgents into Arab countries to destabilize them and take them over. I've had Arab leaders tell me they see four Arab capitals under the effective, not, you know, de jure, but the de facto control of Tehran. That would be Beirut, Lebanon, Baghdad, Iraq, mm-hmm. Sana, Yemen, mm-hmm. and then the fourth, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if that you could really say it, but maybe uh, Tripoli, uh, Libya, mm. or they would say maybe more, others would say, no, that's Damascus, Syria. Mm. Mm. But the point is, it's a big problem, and the regime is, I would say, hell-bent They are so committed, and they believe they're doing the right thing. But their people, the Iranian people, some 90 million people, increasingly hate the regime in Tehran. Mm. There's a huge split emerging between the grassroots, the people of Iran, and the leadership. So it's important to make a distinction as we talk about what's really going on in that country, to say there's the regime, then there's the broader government, and then there's Mm -hmm. the people. Right. The look at the top, these are driven by uh, radical, I would say, apocalyptic Islamist eschatology, what we just talked about a moment ago. The broader government, most of them, I, I think the analysis would show, isn't driven by eschatology. Yes, they're Persian nationalists. They believe in building a great, you know, make, make Iran great, as it were, uh, to borrow <laughs> a phrase. They hate Israel and they hate America, but they don't see themselves as building some end of the world, end of days kingdom. They believe mm-hmm. they're building a strong Iran and trying to bring more countries into their orbit. And then there's the broader society. So at the heart of it, people keep asking me, wherever I go, Joel, we keep hearing that Muslims are leaving Islam in Iran and coming to faith in Jesus Christ in numbers larger than maybe any other country in the region. Is that true? And the answer is, it is absolutely true. And the story of why is totally fascinating to me. Yeah, and that's what we want to get to today because that you recently had a conversation with Dr. Hermoz Shariat. And one of the most fascinating stories, native-born Iranian who came to know Christianity, developed a relationship with Jesus, and has had an amazing impact on this development coming into Iran and seeing what Jesus is doing in that place. I mean, everyone comes to Christianity in in a unique way, 
I don't know that there's any standard path. Some people are born into Christian families. Some people find Jesus much later in life. And those unexpected ways sometimes can make the most interesting parts of our journey because certainly none would expect an Iranian-born, native Iranian person coming into faith is a typical story, but he not only came to faith in Christ, but he chose to share his journey with his loved ones and everyone he's capable of reaching. Joel, I want to I bring people into that conversation a little bit. Here's a little of Dr. Hermos Shariat's story. I really am grateful for the chance to tell people a little bit about who you are, and we can talk a little bit about your journey. And uh, it, it's a story that most people haven't heard, but they absolutely need to read. So first of all, just thank you. Well, thank you. Um, I was born as a Muslim in Iran, and I was on the streets of Tehran in 79, shouting death to America. I wanted to change of regime. I wanted Shah out. But in my heart, I, I, I loved America and still do, and I, of course more. But I wanted to come to U.S. and get my Ph.D. So uh, around the right, time— so I, always think, I always think that's kind of funny and odd. There you are, you, your wife, and a million, two million other people saying death to America— and then you thought, well, maybe not quite yet. I'd like to go to graduate school over there in America. And, of course, the State Department gave you a visa, and you came to Southern California. As I was studying, I got interested in the spiritual thing. I compared Islam and Christianity. I read the Bible and Quran, compared it, and I realized they, both, they do not match. So I went through a few months of questioning, and at the end I realized that Jesus is the way. His message is simple, and it's life-transforming. And my life was transformed. And when my life was changed so dramatically, I said, wow, this is powerful. I should not keep it to myself. I'm selfish if I keep it to myself. I got to share with others. I started sharing with other Iranian Muslims, and their lives were changed. So that's where the ministry was launched. Wow. Joel, It must be amazing to listen to Dr. Shariat's story and to to think about what it meant for him to come to faith in Christ. Talk a little bit about how you found that story when you first heard it. Well, I first met Hormoz Shariat, Dr. Hormoz Shariat, wow, at least 10 years ago, maybe 15, through friends uh, in the United States who love Iran and are trying to strengthen the church inside Iran. They knew that I was doing a lot of speaking and writing about the threat from Iran. They wanted me to understand that, yes, that is all true, but there's a dramatic story of what God is doing that I didn't fully understand. So Hormoz and I met, and um, as I got to know his story, I, I coined a phrase. I described him as Hormoz is the Billy Graham of Iran. Wow. Now, why do I say that? I say it because Billy Graham was the most famous evangelist in certainly in the last hundred years, but arguably since the Apostle Paul. And Billy Graham personally, face to face, traveled the world and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to over 200 million people. That's aside from what he did on television, radio, movies, magazines, books. We're talking about preaching in stadiums to more than 200 million people over the course of his life. And God bore a lot of fruit through him. Now, 
Iran is not a country that Billy Graham was ever allowed to go to because, well, it's a Muslim country, and so generally you can't preach the gospel openly, pick a stadium, rent it, and invite people to come. But particularly in the last 30, 35 years of Dr. Graham's life, Iran was controlled by a radical Islamist regime, the Ayatollah Khomeini and then the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. But Hormoz had left Iran with his wife, both as Shia Muslims, but came to the United States after having been in part of those huge rallies, you know, death to America, death to Israel. And they, some, for some reason, the State Department gave them visas because basically they said, well, maybe not death to America quite yet. We'd like to go to graduate school over there. And the story is that they eventually came to Christ in the United States but as they started growing in their faith, and I loved talking about it, I was just captivated, mesmerized by this conversation, my first one with him. God used him to do, them to do as a couple, was start to plant a church of Iranian converts to Christ and then disciple these people and then plant other congregations and then eventually to found a 24-hour-a-day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, satellite television network to broadcast the gospel of Jesus Christ and Bible teaching and other worship services and so forth over the heads of the Iranian government, over the heads of the Iranian Muslim clerics, right into the homes of the Iranian people, where in the privacy of their own home, they could be clicking through their satellite television network, a European network, and going, that's interesting. What is that guy saying? Yeah. In their heart language, somebody was born and raised in Iran. So he is now reaching more Iranians with the gospel of Jesus Christ than any man that we've ever heard of. So in effect, he is doing what Billy Graham did in stadiums, but Hormoz is doing it through satellite television. Hi, this is Joel Rosenberg. If you've enjoyed this podcast, let us know. Go to joshuafund.com and use the contact us form to provide feedback. Likewise, if you'd like this podcast to continue, you can donate through our giving page and you can find that link in the upper right hand corner at joshuafund.com. Wow, that is so powerful and it's actually one of the best ways that you can reach into people's homes is is through the broadcast because there's so much freedom in that privacy of their home to hear the gospel. Dr. Shariat uh, shares in this part of your interview with him a pivotal moment that helped solidify his faith. And one event happened. When I was a new uh, believer in the Lord, um, they arrested my 16-year-old brother and uh, on minor political charges. They kept him for two years, then they executed him. I remember those days I had such a crisis of faith, asking God, what is this? What, what do I need to do? And I felt God is saying, yeah, don't hate those people who killed your brother, the Islamic uh, government. And you are called to love people, even love your enemies, love Muslims. And what you can do is the best thing you can do is to share the gospel with Muslims with love. You know, that is so important to reach out to Muslims in love. I just think that, you know, Christianity at its heart 
is helping redefine the society inside of Iran. Joel, talk a little bit about that and how your conversation with Dr. Shariat helped talk about what's taking place inside the society of Iran. Look, I think that the issue of Muslims coming to faith in Jesus Christ or Jews coming to faith in Jesus Christ or Buddhists or Hindus or you know, communists or atheists, or, this is very sensitive for many people and is especially sensitive here in the region. But one of the things that people need to understand about evangelicals is that we take very seriously when Jesus told us in the word of God to preach the gospel to all creation, last chapter of Mark, or to make disciples of all nations, the last chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. The Bible speaks of making sure that everybody has had a chance at least to hear that God loves us, that he has a wonderful plan for our lives, that we're separated from God by sin and our own, you know, wanting to kind of go our own way, and that we're in trouble because of that, but that the good news is that God decided not to leave us lost. He sent his own son to die on a cross, pay the penalty for our sins, rise again on the third day to prove to us that he really is God. It's not just some religious guru or some, you know, self-help teacher. This is the God of the universe rising from the dead and allows us to say, well, do I want to say yes to that message, that free offer of a gift of being adopted into God's family and being forgiven? Or do I want to say thank you, but no, I don't want that. And the Bible is super clear. Everybody has to hear it. Of course, the Bible wants everyone to say yes, but everyone at least has to hear that message. Look, a lot of people don't want us to tell that message, and I get that. But I don't think it's fair for a Muslim, for a Jew, for for anybody not to at least hear the offer. Right? You got people paying all kinds of money for in the middle of the night, 1-800-CALL-THIS-THING and we're going to make you a special offer. Get the Ginsu knife set for crying out loud. Right? If you can get buy a, <laughs> buy a knife that will cut your shoe in half, everyone needs to hear the offer. Right? Coca-Cola. You got people who are like rowing up the Amazon and up the Nile and uh, in the, the most obscure towns and villages in the world saying you have to have a Coca-Cola. I'm not going to force you to drink a Coca-Cola, but for crying out loud, you've never even heard that there is a Coca-Cola. If Coca-Cola and the Ginsu knife set people want everyone to hear, I think it's incumbent on people who believe in Jesus to at least let people hear. And that's one of the things I love about Hormoz. Now, he would be arrested and hanged in Tehran if he was there. And this is one of the challenges of the issue of religious freedom Hmm. Iran provides no religious freedom. You cannot go tell this message. You can in Israel. You can in other countries, but you can't in Iran. So Iran is an interesting case where Hormoz, because he's not there, has more freedom to communicate the message and then let people make their own decisions. I think the key here is back to this question of, is Iran experiencing a, a spiritual revolution? The answer is yes. In 1979, according to Hormoz's research and other independent experts, in 1979, there were only about 500 Shia Muslims who had left Islam and come to faith in Jesus Christ in the entire country of Iran. About 500. Wow. 
Today, the evidence suggests that there are well over one million Shia Muslims who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Hormoz believes it's several million, but I don't know that, I mean, even he would say, I don't know that you can know precisely. But there is some recent data from a massive survey that was taken by a a non-Christian polling firm that underscores his view. So anyway, that's a spiritual revolution, and it's absolutely intriguing. Absolutely. Well, Joel, in the conversation you have with Dr. Shariat, you know, he talked a little bit about this dimension of the societal change going on. Let's hear a little bit about what he had to say about what's taking place in Iran now. Your argument is, and your experience is, that when a Shia Iranian comes to faith in Jesus, if they do, that their heart and attitudes towards Jews, Arabs, and even the state of Israel begins to change. Would you take up just a few moments and, and talk about what you've seen in that respect? I've seen so much uh, the life change. Of course, it's a Jesus work. He changes our lives. He's, he talks about love. Both Old Testament and New Testament talks about love God with all your heart and all your mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's a, it's a faith based on love. So it's natural. They come to Christ and they start questioning, why should I hate the Jews, by the way? And even, even Muslims in Iran are asking that question. Mm. Muslims who are uh, protesting on the streets, they're saying, a death to Israel, the government say death to Israel. They're saying, why should I say death to Israel? What have they done to me? You are the, my enemy. You have done so harm to my life more than Israel has ever done. Wow, that is so powerful to hear him say those things about what's taking place in Iran right now. I know a few years ago, Joel, you wrote a book called Inside the Revolution about Iran and what's taking place there, both politically and spiritually. And, you know, I think about our country, the United States. We went through a revolution, a political revolution for sure, but we also went through something called the Great Awakening early on in our history. And that was a spiritual movement that brought America to almost a nationwide repentance and uh, really set our nation in a different course. Talk a little bit about your experience and understanding about what's happening in Iran right now, both in terms of revolution and, and awakening. Well, I think that what you're seeing ultimately is that the Iranian people are so angry at their government and so horrified by the poverty, the deprivation, the gloominess, the depression. The Iranian regime has essentially cut the country off from most of the world. The people, to, the, the brand of being an Iranian is such a negative brand. People just, mm-hmm. you know, think they're all terrorists. And, and while it's not true, the regime is certainly a terrorist regime and a bloodthirsty regime that's wreaking terrible evil around the world. So, according to Hormoz, he and I agree with him. It's creating a pressure cooker. And Iranian Muslims are saying, listen, if our government keeps telling us that they are practicing the one true way of Islam, Hmm. and we think it's horrible, then Islam must not be true. That's a stunning and very disorienting view for a Muslim because most Muslims in a Muslim country, it's the whole culture. It's the whole legal system. It's the whole educational system. It's the whole economy. It's not like I'm a Muslim and then, you know, on Fridays and then there's the rest of the week. No, no. It's the whole thing. 
And for a Muslim to say, I don't think that's true, that is a tectonic shift inside a Muslim's heart. And Iranians are breaking away. Some are going to atheism. Some are going to agnosticism. Some are going pre-Islam to a very ancient form of religion, Zoroastrianism, and to Baha'i and other ways. But many are watching Hormoz and other, there's other actually, you know, satellite television networks, internet sites, books, and so forth. And many are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at it analytically, you might, I think there's a case that all of this resistance against the regime, even if it's not all people coming to faith in Christ, but all this resistance is going to lead to a political revolution that would be similar to the fall of the Berlin Wall, the collapse of the Soviet Empire, the fall of Hosni Mubarak in Egypt, and other revolutions of the like around the world and around the region. That is possible. I think it's unlikely. I think the regime at the top is so driven by their apocalyptic fanaticism that they are likely to use any form of violence that they need, in their view, to crush all forms of dissent. We're already seeing this in Syria, right? In the midst of the fall of Hosni Mubarak in Egypt and, and the Tunisian government and, and you know governments in Yemen and Libya, in Syria, the leadership there, Bashar al-Assad, is holding on and he's massacring as many people as he can to stay in power. And Iran is helping, as is Russia. So I don't see the mindset inside Tehran, the regime, that they're going to let this country be overthrown. And I would just add that there are prophecies in the scripture. We may need to unpack them in other programs, mm. but there are prophecies in the book of Ezekiel and the book of Jeremiah that speak of an Iranian government trying to do unspeakable evil, primarily to Israel, but to others as well, and God judging that regime and removing the regime and then bringing great restoration to the people. Mm. I think that's where we're headed. And again, probably needs another show or two to unpack the specifics of those prophecies. But they're intriguing. And uh, I think God indicates in the scriptures he has great love for the people of Iran. But he, his patience will run short mm. with an evil regime in any country. Yeah. Well, we see so much yet to unfold in biblical prophecy regarding Israel and Iran. I'm sure that our hearts are going to be attuned to what God is doing in Iran as this prophecy and the ways in which God is moving unfold in front of us. I love it when prophecy becomes history. And we saw that so much in the nation of Israel over the past generations. And we're seeing it, I think, happen in the nation of Iran as well, too. Joel, we look forward to hearing more uh, from you and Dr. Shariat, his new book, which is out now called Iran's Great Awakening, is something you talked about in your conversation. And I, I think it's really, it would be great for people to hear what, uh, what you had to say about that book and about how it's making a difference in our understanding of what God is doing in the country of Iran. Once in a generation, a podcast comes along with the power and eloquence to inspire us all. 
This show will entertain you while you wait for that one. Join two best friends, author and former history teacher John Driver and comedian Johnny W. for hilarious and authentic conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. You can listen to Talk About That wherever you find your podcasts or at lifeaudio.com.